0: Cool, wow. welcome to the show i'm scuba this is the not a diving podcast thanks to everyone for the great reactions to last week's pod with uh, nicole cacciavillano it was a really f- good episode that I really enjoyed doing it and we got some very useful information about the development of dubstep scene and bass music in the u.s so if you haven't checked that one go back and do so now um we have another great guest this week is uh at absolute legend, proper legend of electronic music, of dance music. It's a guy called Gerald. I first got into his music in the sort of mid-90s, I guess, when he was doing his jungle stuff, which we talk about in detail during this conversation. This is the longest pod I've done so far. We're clocking in at well over two hours on this one. So um, yeah, I had met Gerald once before, um, as we uh, mentioned in the conversation, but definitely don't know each other well at all, but I don't think he remembered <laughs> meeting me. It's always a bit different when you're talking to someone who you don't know. It's much more of a sort of, I guess, a sort of formal interview, kind of a kind of a structure to it. But I mean, we had a great conversation, as you will discover over the course of this episode. He has some really interesting things to say about the future of music. We got a very different answer about albums to what we get normally there's been a fairly uh, fairly uniform response to my, my album's questions. But uh, we get some different perspectives here. So that's great. And um, yeah, he is just a very interesting person. And he's obviously been around the block a few times and has some stories to tell, which he does so here. So um, yeah, looking forward to getting into it. So just before we do that, uh, leave us a review or a rating. I know I say this every week, but it really does help the show. If you haven't done so already, we would really appreciate it if you did that wherever you're listening to this podcast. And um, yeah, if you haven't already, join us on the Discord. There's a link in the show notes or just go to hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. It's a Hot Flush Discord server, but uh, there's a Not A Diving Podcast channel in there. So do that. And also follow the Spotify playlist with much of the music that we discuss in the show in there it's a good way to follow this show and get a bit of a context and musical terms as well as everything else so anyway i'll be back after the conversation with a bit of extra stuff but without further delay here is a guy called gerald a guy called gerald welcome to the show how are you doing
1: oh not bad how are you
0: yeah, I'm I'm good, thanks. I was just trying to remember when we met, because we definitely have met once before, and I think it was at Labyrinth Festival in Japan. Oh, right. Remember that? It was a while ago. It must have been... Oof, it might be 10 years ago, actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, great to have you on. I'm just going to jump in with a question, just a random question to get going. Um, I was going through your music today, and... Um, None of it's on Spotify, really. Yeah. And you're basically, well, it seems like you're focusing really strongly on on Bandcamp.
1: I'm not even focusing strongly on that. That's kind of the only output. I mean, I've got, like, probably that's the tip of the iceberg. I've got millions of tracks that are not on there. But um, I'm actually just digging, searching for absolute independence. And, like, I can kind of smell all the tools around me. And I'm basically kind of Pushing myself now into to, just to start coding myself. Um, I you know, I I keep on ending up falling into these traps where there's these people that go, You do the music and we'll take care of all the business, right? And uh, yeah, I'm too old for that now, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, don't need to be in a pram anymore. Meanwhile, somebody else is like basically doing all the shopping for me and that,
0: yeah. I mean, obviously. You've been around and seen all that stuff firsthand. But like if you were starting out today, like, you know, if you were a young kid and you'd made a bunch of tracks, like how would you be thinking about the current landscape, do you think?
1: Okay, so if I was starting now, I definitely would be wide eyed, bushy tailed, and like when someone says sign a contract, that would mean like wow, I'm never gonna have to work another day in my life, you know? That's what. That's what basically signing a contract means to everyone. Like, like they've basically these record companies and stuff have totally marketed it like that. And I could actually, uh, like from where I am, I could like abuse like all these young people who were coming into the music industry. I could just like totally say, yeah, you know, I'm really famous, and like I'll just get you to sign here, and then basically just own all their intellectual property. You know what I mean? But like, I want to go. I want to do the other way around. I want to try and get all these young people to own their own thing, and basically build like new platforms, new, new ways of like um, exploiting their own um, material without having anybody else involved. Like you know, like I, that's that's where I think it should it should be going now. I mean, yeah, I, I get it with the, the the music industry; they got like a big freaking like nuclear bomb up the arse with um, like Napster, which I, I mean I'm totally you know like I, I put like Napster on a on a on a fucking on a on a throne, you know like I, like <laughs> I I totally admired like what happened then and like you know like there needs to be more things happening like that you know where the technology or people like independent actually just take over and like basically you know, like, make, kick the the music industry up the arse so that people could get what they want. Um, I think, like, um, stuff like Spotify is kind of like, just like a wolf in sheep clothing at the end of the day, you know. Like, they're all, all these kind of companies, like, they basically, they try and, like, I mean, like, they, they help certain people, you know, like, depending on what size you are in the industry. But like, most of the people are basically just, like, there to prop the platform, up, I, I think. You know, and I kind of, you know, I think if everybody had their own individual platform and they could basically use, like, stuff like um, Spotify as an API. I mean, like, Spotify has, has, has their own blockchain, like, within the, the center of it. And so do many of these other platforms. And, um, like the artists are kind of, I mean, as we move forward into like where the internet is going, artists are still in this kind of wanting to sign to record label kind of thing. And they actually don't even know what happens or how to, how their intellectual property is monetized on the internet, apart from, wow, you can't really make much money on this. So it's not really worth much. And like, so you know, like the days when like people had, you know, like loads of time for each track and putting like loads of effort and loads of love and soul into each track, like kind of it just disappeared because it's like wow, we might as well just bosh out a load of vomit, you know? They just like kind of like knock it out and see you know, see what hits and what you know, and that's kind of I mean, basically that's that's what hurt, that's what's hurting me personally. You know what I mean? That's why I'm like, I want to learn how to fucking code. I want to, if no one else has got the fucking balls to do it, you know what I mean? If everyone's got to fucking suck the dick of the fucking major record companies and publishers, you know what I mean? Someone's got to fucking stand up and go like, look man, like fucking, I want to build something like maybe open source, just put it out there, right? And I mean, I can't, I mean, you can't really do Blockchain engineering, open source, because, like, you know, you gotta pay fucking gas and whatever. You know what I mean? So, there'd have to be some kind of little fee for it. But, like, you know what I mean? It just, there just needs to be something that you know, like, if you know, that can just like clip onto your Ableton or whatever that protects your fucking music from these like fucking hairy fucking dogs out there. You know, I just, it just needs to be done. Anyway, that's that's where my my head's at kind of, at the moment. And um, I'm trying, I mean, there are one or two little things still on Spotify. I'm frightened to do remixes now where I'm using my own name because, like, it'll end up on some of them search engine type things. And I don't kind of want to confuse people that, uh, you know, that's where I'm I'm in or that's what I'm into, you know what I mean? I, I kind of, what I'm trying my best to get, like, away from, like, any anyone who wants to, manipulate me using like uh, my music or anything to do with my name i'm trying to get away from that um i just basically build like um independent platform to just to show as an example as like one of the older people that um like what the younger people should be doing kind of thing anyway that's probably gone on too long now but
0: i mean you've been getting into um the sort of web three space where we had a tim exile on the show a couple of weeks ago and um i talked a lot with him about like the potential of that whole area yeah. and yeah, yeah. you know what it potentially means for artists trying to forge a sort of separate path for themselves but like, i mean how do you feel about the whole nft market aspect of it now like it's got a bit of a bad reputation in some quarters <laughs> So, how do you personally see that NFT thing in the way it kind of bolts onto that kind of stuff that you've just been describing?
1: Um, like, yeah, NFTs like basically are still kind of, I reckon, on the outskirts of it. And it's and it's like a to- like a non fungible token is is something quite different to like the blockchain is part of the architecture. Remember, like, remember the the Matrix? Like, um, so like. Um, blockchain would be, like, part of the construct. Whereas, like, an NFT is basically something where, actually, you would probably end up with an NFT agent who would basically put your work on. So you'd end up, like, kind of like a record label anyway. (laughs) You know, like, basically, if somebody's doing doing something for you, like, um, you'll probably find that there's... There's like probably 10, in the end, there's like 10 people working for them and like whatever. And then you end up in the same position. It, depending, I mean, like, depending, I mean, like some people, I get it. They don't want to be independent. You know what I mean? They they just basically, you know, they, they, they're they just, there, you know, like I'll make like, at least I'll make 20 pence off it. And then like, you know, they'll, you know, and they, you know, they, I don't know, like, you know, I spend like uh a lot of time in a room with like no windows <laughs> and, like making my music. And like, I kind of love it and ch- cherish it kind of thing. And like to basically just put it out there to, for somebody to do whatever they want with. And like, I'm kind of like the last person to, to be involved when it comes to the financial part of it is kind of like a little bit of a shame. So I, I kind of want, like, to be the person who's, like, at the the center of my, um, like, energy and basically be, like, assigning people licenses or whatever, you know. And, you know, there's, there's like, um, an NFT basically doesn't put you in that position. NFT basically is like, okay, I'll frame, like, this piece of work and then I'll put it out there as as a single kind of, um, point of um for for someone to buy and sell like you know like a a piece of a piece of work or a, or a vinyl or whatever and like people are still in that mentality you know what i mean it's something from whenever you know like the 50s or <laughs> to the 90s or whatever but like um, like that piece of work actually like if it's if it's um actually that piece of work is a, is actually a blockchain or it's on a blockchain, your your personal blockchain. You could basically assign smart contracts to that piece of work, so it could approach different things like radio stations or streaming sites or whatever in in different ways. So you could actually pull in different amounts of like um, money or media or whatever it is from that piece of work in different you know f- in different formats. Just just from it being like. Um, as a, as the raw element, as the as the raw blockchain, you know what I mean. As something that is like, you know, and it's 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 something that you could possibly build tokens off, but like it's not that's not the be all and end all of that thing, you know. So, and I I see like as as people get wise to what actually the the whole crypto blockchain NFT thing is, then they'll realize, you know, what I mean, it's, imagine if like. Someone, you know, like thought, you know, they. When people realize, realized, okay, I could just rent my out my house out instead of like selling it and like buying another one and selling it buying up. I could just rent it out and like make money that way and keep keep hold of the property. You know, once once people get onto that level, it's like wow, you know, you know, the actual music that I make in the studio, I can actually keep and like not sell on to someone and like then. You know what I mean? Because say so you start complaining once you're, you know, you, you your music kind of ends up on this or on that, and you've basically kind of earned like I don't know, like I don't know, ten percent of what it could have possibly earned, and you see it there, like, like, yeah, exactly. So, so I, I I get it in a way. Like I get I get like um the whole thing. Like you know people want to kind of you know the fast money fast you know and And like, you know, you know, in one way I could, I could kind of like see how that, that, the appeal of that, you know, and like most of the people who I know who are involved in in music, unless they've been to like a kind of music school or something, they just, yeah, they just want, they just, most, a majority that they like, they think it's a fast thing, you know what I mean? They want to, they want to build a track really fast Knock it out really fast to you know like bang on edge to, ne- to the next one and like you know and it so so I get it you know the value is has totally changed from wanting to build something beautiful and like you know like having it to having it lasting and stuff like that I mean yeah one yeah, of the yeah. one of
0: the things I've been talking about on the show is like the way music tech has like broken down barriers to participation and made it easier but that has obviously implications on you know the, the, the amount of music that gets made but also you know the quality of that music maybe the average quality like, how do you feel about that in terms of the way tech has developed?
1: Um, I think yeah there's, 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 a, there's a few different elements but like um, yeah the, the the root of it is um, like um, production wise you know the, the thing you can basically you can download a load of samples and like basically jigsaw them together and like bosh them out and then like you know that's you know, kind of like a, a dance track or whatever. You know what I mean? It, I mean, like things don't have to. Before, there were all these little filters that that um, things had to go through. You know, before you could get them to be played or whatever. And then like, you know, like now all that is kind of disappeared. And in, in you know, it's a good thing in a way. You know, like um, it, it's but it's it's what it's done. It's speeded up the The kind of actual way you can, you can go from like, um, actual manufacturing to having it like broadcasted. You know what I mean? You you can actually have your stuff out there. I mean, it might not be out there, out there, but it's like, it's, it's gonna. Hit some somewhere or something, and like you know, if you're looking like one DJ somewhere might like it, you know what I mean? And like, you know, so like basically, you you just like basically throw all your stuff like you know into this into this situation. You know, you you don't have to do anything about like um, like marketing or whatever. You, I mean, you do you could do a little bit, but then you're going into a different area again where. You have like you know this whole, you not know, agents or whatever that will kind of say that they'll market your things or they'll do this and they'll do that, but um, you, you yeah it, it depends on how seriously people want to take stuff and all actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, I a lot of what you're saying sort of relates to the way artists have their careers like manipulated by different people, you know, by managers and by booking agents. Yeah. And all the rest of that side of things. And obviously, like so many people have had bad experiences then and so many careers have been have been ruined by, you know, it's the wrong people getting involved. But um just going back to my like my previous question, like, in terms of like the kind of widening of participation and like the removing of, of barriers, like how do you feel about like more people making music? It seems like it's quite easy to make the argument that if it's music is is good for people to make and like yeah. it's you know creativity is a positive thing. So is that good? Like generally, generally good.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think I think more people being creative is a good thing. Um, like, they, it just needs to. I think they just need to. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like from where I'm. I'm seeing it. Like they they need to like value and own their their own things, you know what I mean? Uh, like, if there was, I think if there was more value in, like, what they were doing, like, you know, if they had, I don't know, like, I mean, there, there are, I mean, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but, like, you know, I get kind of, like, the feeling when, I, with some of the stuff that, I mean, because I, I go through, like, every week I go through, like, music, trying to find stuff to play on the radio on a Friday morning, and um. And like I go through like fucking shit. Look, it takes like two days to go through the stuff that's been released that week, you know. <laughs> and it's just like bloody hell. I mean, like and, and like most of it sounds kind of like the same. And then there's like stuff that's like kind of. It's just like it just goes on and on, and there's nothing, no you know nothing to it, and it's like so. And yeah, you really have to dig to find. So what, you know, like stuff that, that I'm, you know, to the things that I think, wow, that's kind of a little bit different or it's interesting or, you know, and or some, someone spent some time kind of, you know, you can kind of hear it most of the times, you know what I mean? What, you know, what they've kind of been trying to put into it. So, but it's, oh God, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, It just seems that the more and more like time goes on, it's like it's heading into this, like, drone thing, like, with, with electronic music anyway, you know, like, it's, you know, and, you know, there's this thing where they have to, before they could be a DJ, they have to release some music or something. <laughs> and, it, yeah, it, it's, you know, and, like, I get the whole, now, I get the vinyl thing where, you know what I mean, it's like, it's not proper unless it's been on vinyl. But, then, like, you know, they, they kind of, it, it might as well not be on vinyl. Some of them. I mean, I mean, like the, the, some people think that it's actually the mastering mastering it for for vinyl makes it more warmer. Even if you've done it like on Ableton or something, and like you know, and it doesn't doesn't make any you know it doesn't for me it doesn't kind of make any difference the format you know and like you know I, and I get it if you're a, a kind of manufacturer of, of of vinyls then it's a really good good kind of like system for, for marketing I mean you can't make any money as a label um, producing like vinyls um, at the moment anyway because like you know the, the actual comeback is way too much but it's a good marketing tool you know it shows that you're serious if you've got your things on like a, on a record It's you know because you, you've obviously you've, now you've spent the money on it but I don't know. I think that, that energy that, you know, you've taken to put something on vinyl could be made better into like maybe learning a little bit out of code and building like your own like blockchain platform.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the vinyl thing is is crazy, isn't it? Really, when you think about it, it's like this ancient technology and people really sort of fetishize it today in, in a way which is just totally, well, I mean, it, it mystifies me anyway to to a, to a large extent I mean I don't know how you think about
1: it yeah and if I wanted to get my stuff say like from here to Japan on, on a vinyl this is going to cost shitloads loads of money you know it's just not it's, you're, ne- you're never going to you're never going to be able to do that so it's like it's just going to be in a small circle and like you know you'll probably end up just like um, putting like the vinyl on um, like on a like YouTube or whatever and just saying like look this is on vinyl you know like <laughs> Yeah, but you never, you know, it's not going to be like like years years ago, where you know that thing then would have to, you know, you'd go to repress, and then the more you press it, the the cheaper it would be, and and all that. And
0: yeah, yeah, the economics of uh, vinyl is yeah, it, uh, we're at a level now where it just doesn't make any sense. But like, let me ask you, when was the last time you signed a record deal?
1: Um, well, I've done a, a, a track with um, some like this kind of like Iranian label called um, mis- um, analog rooms um, I, at the starting of um, this year um, and I released um, an EP called um, Britain's dirty little secret um, and yeah it, you know that you know date I mean I, I kind of I mean I've been with working with these guys for like um, like maybe like ten, like um, like maybe, yeah, twelve years or something like that, and you know like they basically we've basically I've been doing live shows for them, and like they just they were like yeah we want to start a a, a label and you know, they 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 you know they're in, uh like the vinyl thing and like you know, I was like okay I, I mean I actually. I'm intrigued to see what young people would do with a vinyl, you know. And it's like their second vinyl, and so like they printed it up and they sold out, like of all this, you know. So like they're excited about that, but it's like you know they've definitely been burnt, you know. They're like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> we're not gonna do that again in a rush. And you know, you know, you you kind of I think you you kind of have to do that to. to I mean, like me saying to them, like, oh fuck the vinyl thing like to them you you know you know I'm I'm an old guy I don't know you know I mean like I've 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 done it you know I've I've done it with Juicebox, where I've I've like printed up like loads and, as much as I could and like you know sold out and uh, you know I still like owed money <laughs> to, the, to the to these people and I was like fucking hell, you know I can't i mean i I can't waste time I prefer to like have that time in the studio and this was before like um, I knew about anything to do with blockchains or anything like that you know what I mean like but I knew that at some point there was gonna be a technology that was gonna come along that we we could possibly use to utilize like what was you know i mean i mean like I think like going back actually to like ninety seven I remember um bowie and and Prince. Basically, doing this whole thing about selling music online—you know—as soon as the internet came in, you know what I mean. Like these guys were on it, and um, I was like, "Fucking."
0: Yeah, man, Prince smashed that absolutely.
1: Yeah, they were on it, and I was like, "Fucking hell!" You know, it's like, you know, if you look at—I mean, like a lot of people don't. I mean, because like, I suppose like the the industry doesn't want you to know or doesn't want you to see some of the people who got wise to. To like artist-wise, like, they got wise to to, be, to the manipulation of of their materials, and then they started their own shit. Like um, like like the Beatles starting Apple Records, you know what I mean? Not a lot of people kind of go into that level, and like you know, like what Bowie kind of did when he came back from America and he realized that he was fucking skint when he shouldn't have been, you know? And that was a bit like fucking out. And Prince actually. like realizing that he was a slave to fucking Warner Brothers you know like these things I mean someone should do a documentary where they just basically they they target these eras of like these famous people's lives when they realize that fuck it's better off if you do it yourself but like the media is not going to kind of help you out you know what I mean like people like Universal don't want you to see point of view as an artist, you know what I mean? They don't want... Yeah, I mean, it's not
0: in their interest, really,
1: yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: so, I mean, I guess the difference now is, like, we've got so many examples of people yeah. doing that, like, you know, the ones that you get, and pr- Prince is the one that really sticks yeah. out to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and basically, like, if you're an artist and you you start, you, you, you suss that bit out, you're like, hang on a minute, like, I could probably fucking get on with this myself, well, the industry's not going to give you a hand up. You know what I mean? So, like, any if, if anything, they're going to try and make you disappear. You know what I mean? Like, or, you know, I don't know, God, God um, forbid, like, you know, you're with one of these labels or whatever and then they've got insurance on your life. You know, like, God knows what would <laughs> happen. Yeah,
0: you might, I you, mean, like, the, the whole industry is set up to kind of perpetuate itself, yeah. right? I mean, like it's a extremely um, conservative thing by by its very nature, and most things which are entrenched industrially are like that, right? But like, let me ask you more specifically about that Web three thing. Like, there's been a fair bit of you know hostility towards it, yeah. like both from the audience and people in techno and you know in dance music, electronic music generally, and actually just music. Um, but also from you know governments and you know there are various reasons for that but like i just wondered how you thought about it and like whether you're thinking change of it maybe over the pandemic or like yeah tell me a little bit about your thinking and all that stuff
1: um i mean i I kind of spent like most of that lockdown kind of with my head like totally studying like the whole situation and like you know there's a few hot players within that game that um, there's one bloke called michael sailor who's like basically uh an engineer of, like, something or whatever. But, like, he's he's um, basically, like, he, he basically pinpointed it and he put it down to, like, how, how I could see it anyway. And, like, you know, we're in a system, like, you know, where, like, um, fiat currency, like, the, the money, the pound, the dollar, the whatever, right, is, um, like, losing, like, shitloads of energy, like, um, to, as, I, as he would put it. Like so, about fifteen percent every year. So even if you'd like got like um, stacks and stacks, boxes of of like um, pounds, and you you know, or, and you put them in the bank or you put them under your bed or whatever, like you know, what I mean, it's still like losing this money. You're still losing this this fi- this financial energy. The banks, the banks know this, and there's a, I'm sure there's like loads of different industries that kind of know this. And they, they've been looking for ways, you know, to um, get away from that kind of leakage. Um, anyway, just, I mean, I'm not going to go too far into it, but like, um, mm, basically, yeah. I think a lot of people are not aware of that. And like, they're basically, you know, and the, basically the the people who kind of don't want them to be aware of that are a little bit scared. And they're also at the same time, they don't want people to. Generally, they don't want people to, to use um, like cryptocurrencies or whatever. They, you know, they they obviously want us to jump off the, you know, like we did in 2008. <laughs> they want us to to kind of crash into this into this thing, and then you know, there's at some point there's going to be like this other panic, and during like the the cloudy smoke thing they're going to come out with, like, we've got no choice but to all go digital with, like, the money and da 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 -da. So we've created, like, a coin or a token that helps us, you know, smoothing the path.
0: Right, you're talking about a central bank digital currency which they can then use to control people's, the way people spend their money and and their behaviour,
1: basically. Yeah, yeah, basically, like, you know, like, the QR codes that you see, like, in all the pubs now, and, the, and you know, this... At some point, you know, we're, we're kind of used to that in a way. Like, oh, well, we kind of started to get used to that during that lockdown situation. So that is going to be part of what um, money is going to look like, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it already exists with, like, Apple Pay and that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. But, like, it needs to be connected to the banks. So it needs to be, like, basically... And at some point, basically, they're they're just going to say, like, everyone needs to have a wallet. And, like, you know, if you want to, like, you know, trade or if you want to use money to buy stuff or whatever, you know, your credit cards are not going to work anymore or whatever. Or they're going to be connected. Basically, money is going to be, they're going to switch from using um, fiat, to um, to using digital currency it might not be crypto as we know it, but some some play, some somehow
0: yeah, it'll work in it'll work in basically the same way though, right? Even if yeah, it's not yeah. A, so,
1: but before be, but before that, before their introduction, like you know, they I think that they're going to push to people that it's not a really a good thing, and you know, it, it's bad for the the environment, or you know, there's there's you know, there's going to be all these different things, but. Uh, and, until the actual the, the golden day when they have to go okay now you can use it then um yeah it's going to be a bad thing up until then Crikey. i guess yeah
0: <laughs> okay well, we've, we've gone down the rabbit hole a little bit with, uh, with yeah, yeah let's not let's not, not let's
1: not yeah anyway that's why I, that's so you know when when we were saying like what the people that don't don't like it or don't know it or whatever
0: right yeah i mean there's a lot of um i mean you can see there's like yeah, you know, kind of governmental uh, uh, you know, opposition to it, and for, you know, for for that exact reason that you just said, because because at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the the nature of decentralized currency means that like the the amount of control that a government can exert over it is is inherently less, right? I mean, like a big part yeah, yeah, of government yeah. government policy is controlling the supply of of currency, right? That's a whole, yeah. you know, that's the majority of what the uh, the, the treasury does right. <laughs> That's like a big part of their whole thing. Anyway, let's let's step back a bit from this. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. So yeah, we've just been talking about the future. I wanted to talk about the past as well. Obviously, you know, given your um, given your career, but um, the, the the other question I had just jotted down to kick off with was regarding like dub music. I read a bunch of your interviews earlier today, and in a couple of them like you mentioned the, the the influence of dub on you as a producer but also of sound systems and and just the whole you know the, the whole kind of ethos yeah. um as well as the music but I just wanted like just again just to like, take it up to you know to today like how do you see the influence of dub on electronic music
1: like in 2022 um yeah it's, i mean there is different types of of um like element well there yeah certain elements from from dub um of you know they've made their way or they've managed to survive into, into like this century you know like um the, there was a lot of experimentation like studio wise that kind of happened first of, that I could see anyway with with dub music like in the late um probably late 60s early 70s and then so on you know what I mean like you know, especially using like the echo chamber and um like um you know, extending like mixes and stuff like that. And like then that that basically was adapted by like, you know, like disco and stuff like that and, you know, soul and stuff and, you know, when they started to do twelve inch mixes, you know, they they would dub them out a little bit and then that obviously became part of the the mainstream, like, you know, like the the whole kind of disco thing kind of melted into pop and then pop cultures kind of, you know, so it's, it's something that's kind of ap- evolved from from like one single place, I would say. And like I would say it was like King Tubby w- would have been like the, the first person to kind of bring that out. And then like a lot of people kind of, it just branched out and then branched out into, you know, still what it is today. And like even as far as like a genre of something that would have probably come from, I would say like from Jungle, um, which kind of came from Rave. um, And it was called Dubstep, which like basically, you know, they used that kind of um, one drop kind of beat and then like over the top of it, you would, you know, you would have something racing over the top and then, you know, you, you could use like a, a double time kind of echo to kind of create like this kind of, you know, space that, you know, it's, it, 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 it create you know, using like modern kind of samples and loops and stuff. They, they basically recreated like what, like Tubbies was doing and like a few other people, like scientists does. And, you know, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a different, it was a different thing when, they did it, but like now it's kind of, and then it, it, it went from like that dubstep thing to kind of, um, I don't know, like EDM and like, you know, it's so it's still, in, it's still there, you know, like there's, it's, it's still that, that whole kind of thing that came from the culture is still part of like this system today. You know, it's still running.
0: Yeah. I mean the whole, the whole extended, dance mixes and like the uh, the concept of of just I guess production as a using the mixing desk as an instrument I guess is the classic kind of way of putting it mm. right the kind of contribution that, that Tubby and those other guys made in terms of like the development of it so do you, do you put it basically Tubby at the at the very sort of ground zero of that yeah 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 that's interesting when did when did you first get into dub like because I mean I, I want to talk about you know, you grew up in Manchester and I want to talk about the early Manchester club scene before Acid House hit and all, and all that. So where, where did it come for you in in the kind of like, you know, the, the chronology of your sort of musical development? Was it something really, really early?
1: or kind of Yeah, for sure. Um, it, you know, like when I was like, um, I don't know, five, six, you know, like I, I had like that, that's part of my community, you know, like, um, there's, like, blues parties, you know, people were doing, you know, like they would had sound systems for, like, different bits and pieces and, like, we'd always be there kind of, like, watching what they were doing, intrigued, you know, by, like, the whole kind of music thing, you know, like, like different levels of it, really. It's, it's kind of, it's always been there, you know, like, so, I, I mean, like, for me to put a, a time on it... um. I don't know. I, I remember when No Woman, No Cry came out, you know, Bob Marley's right? <laughs> right? Right, right, right. I, 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 I kind of remember that coming out as a new track. Um, but, like, I remember tracks before that, you know, and, like, um, like you know, there was, like, I, I can remember, the, like, the Trojan record label, like, you know, I remember my dad having, like, these records and, like, his friends and, like, them you know, playing these tracks when I was, you know, I was really young, like sitting there listening to them, talking about them and stuff. Um, so, I mean, I would have been like, yeah, like six, five, six, something like that.
0: Right. So it's it's deep in there, deep buried in that yeah, subconscious yeah. then, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so when did, um, like when you got old enough to start, you know, going out, what was attracting you musically when you first got to that point where you could, you know, go out and and music started becoming a big part of your life in a kind of social sense?
1: Um, Socially, it was dance, you know, like, um, and we didn't really, I mean, like there was, okay, there was maybe two genres. There was like dub and funk. You know, we didn't really have like the loads of different kind of sub-genres of this and that. I mean, that kind of came a little bit later, but um, yeah, I, I, I guess like, you know, some, some places would play funk and the other places would play kind of like dub, reggae kind of thing The you know, like rubber dub, you know, steppers, you know, and yeah, that was it really, you know, then like, you know, you started to get into like, um, jazz funk and then like, you know, um, but it was all it was it was mainly dance you know like the, the 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 kind of energy wasn't had nothing to do with well it maybe it did but like like from where I was we, we didn't really know the names of DJs or whatever we knew the names of like people who had like the best moves or the you know like a dance crew or whatever you know what I mean who, who would go and challenge like a Birmingham crew or like you know a crew from somewhere else you know there wasn't there was there wasn't really a kind of like, and I guess like the DJs would kind of like be kind of part of that in a way, but it wasn't like a really big, big thing that they would be kind of like, you know, the like they they were like the like no one kind of like recognised that you know they didn't stand around. I was just going to ask, what what rough
0: period are we talking about here? Which years?
1: um like 1982
0: 1980 1982 to 85 right so just in that directly prior to to acid house and and you yeah. and manchester right is is where you grew up which part of manchester
1: are you from uh, moss side
0: right yeah okay so tell me a little bit about uh like when acid house came in like was it just a kind of hard shift, or was there sort of a transitional thing? I mean, I, I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit young to like to have experienced it directly. I mean, I started going out in sort of mid-90s sort of thing when it when it was all very much established. But like, you know, having read about you know records from the states kind of like making their way over into DJ sets and that, you know, from sort of maybe eighty five onwards. So, so f- um, in terms of like you know your experience of it. Like I mean, obviously you. I mean, you're you know acid house guy through and through. Obviously, in terms of, in terms of the way you're perceived. Anyway, I don't know if that's true in terms of your experience of it. But like, how what was that transition like from you know those kind of clubs that you just described into the
1: kind of rave scene? Um, well, it was. I'd say, like yeah, mid mid eighties kind of thing. To to yeah, it was was kind of like the mid eighties. I mean, like we we kind of had all these different genres that were kind of happening like you know, pretty much the same time and in the same clubs. Um, so, like, electro-funk was kind of like the precursor for me for, for Acid House because it was like electro- more electronic-based and like, you know, like I was like really kind of into like synthesizer music anyway, you know, like anything to do with synths, whatever, I was like, totally like, wow, yeah, I, I want to know how that was done or this was done or, or whatever. And, um, so, I kind of discovered, like, drum machines um, through, like, electro-funk. Um, electro-funk kind of was, like, happening from, like, I'd say, 1982. Um, till, what,
0: what kind of, kind of artist? Sorry, if I can just jump in. What kind of artist would you um, put in
1: that category? African, African Bombard and under Soul Sonic Force. Um, there was um, Al-Nafish. Um, there was, uh, oh god, like um, oh there was about uh, label-wise, Tommy Boy Records, um, uh, Cut In Records. Um, god, I, I, I would have to go back and listen. Yeah, no, that's that's um, good,
0: That's that's good. That's good
1: Mantronics, actually, um, and um, later on came Def Jam. Um, like, so, like electro funk started to slowly get turned towards rap. Um, it, with like Def Jam records which was like a little bit later but um, so like round about that time and all for me like 95 I mean sorry not 95 85 86 like um, I started to hear like the Acid stuff which was like it was that rawer version for me than the, the, the electro funk it, it was a bit more stripped down and like you know By then, I'd managed to um, get hold of a drum machine and like synthesizer and stuff like that, and I'd kind of left my turntables to get dust.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's okay. So hang on a sec. We're we're, uh, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Um, I wanted to ask you before before we got into that. You mentioned that you're really into synths and that, but I mean, I read in a, I think it might have been in your Red Bull lecture from a from ten years ago or something. But you were talking about getting into sort of electronics and and reverse engineering stuff you found around the house and all and all that
1: yeah oh yeah that was that was happening constantly
0: right tell me a bit about that. were you completely that completely self taught kind of thing yeah. just yeah, so yeah. tell how tell, so what well explain explain that to me
1: so that basically what i would do is like um i would like dis- de deconstruct things or try and put things together again and you know I, f- first i started like, kind of around the house, kind of, like, breaking shit, and then I would, like, go out onto, like, like wastelands and bits and put and find, like, old TVs and whatever and bring them home and, like, basically rip them apart and see how, you know, they worked and, you know, like, rip the speakers out and see how the speakers worked and all this kind of stuff.
0: Was this just a process of sort of trial and error? Because obviously there's no yeah. like, YouTube or whatever in, in those days to tell you how to
1: do stuff, so... Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I was, like, I mean i was i don't know 7 8 just curious uh, you know. basically yeah yeah and i you know we would like kind of like you know make try and make like um like uh, our own kind of bedroom sound systems using all these speakers that we would like take out of like TVs and stuff like that and like out of old cars and and whatever and like you know we realized that the more speakers we put on a, on a thing the, the, the quieter it would get so we would need some kind of amplification and so we would you know it was just like yeah it was trial and error and you know we'd find little little things out that you know how you can kind of boost the power with different thing. you know it was it was just like um, I mean we weren't kind of like you know gonna change the world or anything like that but it was it was just like an intro introduction and um, I'd like I mean like my mum would kind of buy us like Musical bits and pieces, guitars and like, you know, we had a piano and like, um, we had like little toy organs and stuff like that, that we'd kind of take apart and try and make new things out of. Um, I remember um, trying to, I remember getting like this radio, like ripping it apart and finding out that I could make all these noises by connecting the circuit, you know, connecting uh, the, a bit of loose wire in between like different circuits in the radio and, and stuff like that you know it was it was just you know kind of messing around with we didn't know like what was what and like you know we didn't know what we didn't know what diodes were and you know you know we were just kind of like toying around with what what was there anyway so like i kind of that was my interest in in that but you know it was um I think later on, I, I mean, that, that kind of turned to all that kind of energy. to most of it anyway, turned towards dancing and stuff like that. So I was, I was more, I got more into dance um, and started focusing on like, um, like the the actual music, doing like the internals of what was going on, but I could still like. Um, like string like a box of speakers together and that so you know we we created our own little sound system.
0: Yeah I mean that's that's pretty awesome that's certainly beyond my <laughs> capabilities but um yeah I guess that sort of informed the way you you went through your career going forward but but let me ask you like what at what point did you decide you wanted to make tunes because that's a bit of a shift from you know tinkering around with electronics like um at what point did you figure that you wanted to make music?
1: Um it was it was kind of I mean like basically like I was at a stage where uh, like I had like um like turntables in uh, and, and and like loads of records and stuff and we used to kind of do this cutting and scratching thing. I think we had like four turntables in in uh, in my like kind of home st- made studio thing. And um, we would do, like, these mixes. It was by this time, I think there was, like, three or four of us. And we would do, do these kind of home mixes. It was, like, like 80, I would say, 86, yeah, 80, uh, eight, no, before eighty. I think it was probably 85 and then 86. And we would do, like, these mixes where... Like one person would scratch like a bass drum, and the other person would scratch a snare, and like you know, then we'd put a loop over. the One person would be looping, doing a loop with two kind of like um, two tracks, you know, like you know, looping back and forward, and the other one would be doing like like rapping or something over the top of it. Um, so, and then we went from that to um, getting like a, a drum machine, and like basically just, like, using the drum machine to do the loops and then, like, we would cut and scratch, like, um, little bits and pieces over the top. And um, we kind of went from that, we was like, okay, we're we're kind of good enough to do, uh, to lay something down as a track. So we went to, like, the local studio, which was Kitchen Studios in Hume and, like, laid, like, this track down called Back to Attack which was like um, kind of like the first thing that we'd kind of put put on um, vinyl in the end. So what was the what was the artist name for that? Um, MC Tunes and Scratch Beat Masters. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, basically, so we went from that to yeah to basically work working with the guys from Eastern Bloc. Um, that later became like eight oh eight state, but like at that time it was called um, the Hit Factory, right? Or the Hit Squad. Sorry, not the Hit Factory, the Hit Squad.
0: Who so who pressed up the tune? Did you guys pay for that yourself, or like was there uh, someone else involved?
1: Um, yeah, that was that was um, paid for via like um, the the guys from from um, Eastern Block. So we had yeah, so we had um, Gra- Graham Massey. Martin Price and like um, I can't remember the other guy's name from, but it was like a Nissan Block kind of production thing, um, and it was like there was four four rapping kind of no three rapping crews, kind of that were involved in that situation at the time. And did it did it sell? Um, I, I I think I I don't think so. Um, I mean, like maybe they just <laughs> I mean, like they pressed it up as a white label. And um, right, right, I didn't right. really hear about it after that. I think they they um, realized that um, like there was a different type of music that was happening. So like they kind of like I mean I I was I mean that that's that was the, the project um, with them. Like like independently, I was kind of doing like uh, my own kind of like kind of version of acid house. Um, which no, at first, no one was really interested in. Um, but like when, when um, the when the kind of Chicago records started to hit, then they, then they were like, oh hang on a minute, <laughs> like you know the stuff that you do, right. the other stuff <laughs> that you do, that you like. Um, could you could use you some like that so I mean like this, I would basically do this stuff to play on um, Stu Allen. On, on on his radio show because he, he was the only one that was interested in like what I was doing like um wise so I, uh, so like basically like the word kind of got around Manchester that I was doing this kind of like um, acid house music type thing and then like a few people tried to get involved and get in contact with me about you know putting some of that stuff out um, like the guys from Eastern Block were like, "Okay, well, bring like some of your equipment down to the basement, and we'll we'll kind of do something like maybe," which ended up being um, album New Build, which was we did like so by by this time we're talking like 1987, 88 kind of thing.
0: Right by by which time, like the acid house thing was getting going. I mean, eighty seven is the classic sort of summer of love, right?
1: Yeah. yeah but yeah.
0: so, what was but what was the scene like in Manchester? Like, uh, was it was it um, well, I mean, like, did it really hit immediately? Was it was there a lot of hype around it, or did it take a little bit longer to catch on in terms of like the the, the sort of wider scene, club like music scene?
1: Um, it, 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 I think it almost like kind of just hit instantly. I mean, like um Manchester's a really small place compared to London. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. so like when something happens, it kind of really happens. And like, um, like the C- central Manchester, like Hacienda was like one of the main clubs, kind of thing. And you know, like they'd kind of taken it on anyway. There was another place that was happening for kind of like underground kind of electro funk and soul and stuff and that was called Legends and um, it was happening there like um, like um, like maybe like a year before or something because like you know it was basically like electro funk kind of like acid house like jazz funk all these kind of things were at that place and like we were basically like you know dance challenging and stuff like that. It was more about, that That club was more about dance, whereas the Hacienda was more of a mixed kind of, you know, place where the students and and stuff would, would go to. So it kind of, like, once it got to there, um, then it kind of kicked off everywhere else. But, like, you know, before then, like, legends and stuff like that, it was kind of like a music that was... Kind of made for like challenging and stuff and like dJs like um Greg Wilson and like Mike shaft and people like that they would they would be at this um like they would be djing at um legends um yeah so like by the time it got to um, I think it was like yeah it must have been like early kind of eighty eight like late eighty seven um Things started to things started to kick off.
0: By the sound of things, like what was going on at Legends was, well, I'm am guessing here, but like was like ecstasy sounds like it was less of a key factor there. Because I mean, like the way people talk about it, it's like you know, ecstasy hit the UK and suddenly acid house was huge. And maybe that was more true of what was going on at the hacienda. But is yeah. is that a fair assessment of what I've just said about Legends?
1: Well. Yeah, it, yeah, with, with acid house music, um, it was part of it was for, for us, it was an extension of electro funk, and like mm-hmm. you know, another basically, it was just like another level of like music that we would dance to, you know what I mean? It, and like, we didn't really kind of take any kind of inebriant, you know, like, not even, I mean, like, people you'd be lucky if anyone was drinking alcohol, you know, like, we was dancing, <laughs> Right, right. we were dancers, yeah. you know, so, like, and like, our focus was dancing, we would get high on dance, and yeah. like, you know, there wasn't really any need for anything else, you know what I mean, like, if you see now, like, the fucking people were dancing there, you would, you would know, <laughs> there was no need for anything else, <laughs> man, like, the music, it was basically using that music, like, how it's supposed to be used, right? you know, um, and like, basically that's, for me personally, that's, um, what inspired me to, to want to make music, you know, cause I wanted to make music for these people that were dancing. I, I mean, like it's impossible. It would have been impossible for me to figure out how to make music for someone who was just sticking their hands in their hair. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like. For me someone who could like kind of backflip and then like down into the splits and then come up and start kind of doing this mad fusion you couldn't even see their feet going and then they would go into spins and stuff like you know there was actually more dynamic for, for wanting to create like, like electronic music for them <laughs> right <laughs> for some reason, right, right, right. yeah yeah <laughs> and like you know like, so I couldn't figure it out, like, later on when, you know, there was, they, that wasn't a part of it, you know? And it was, like, you know, people who were kind of, like, really off their heads. I mean, like, when, when I started to go into the studio with, like, the guys from, like, 808 State, I mean, they, you know, they came from, like, a totally different background, you know? So, and, like, they would, like, you know, they wouldn't really kind of get like some of the stuff that I was doing they they couldn't really get it I mean I was like being really intricate with percussion and things like that and
0: mm.
1: for them it was like like why would you be intricate about that when you know like you just need box, box, box. you know it was a different I mean like I was seeing things in a different world I was, I was seeing things in a different light you know things for me what were more about um, kind of like wanting the the dancer to feed off the, the the musician and the musician to feed off the dancer. Right. Whereas like in the kind of other, other side of it, the other world, it was just like, you know, give them something to, you know, it was more, as I kind of found out later on, it was more like a feeling. So they, they, the the music was a feeling, not like actual like individual parts that were put together to to create like something. You know, it was you know they 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 had to have just like basically a sound there. You know, so like big washes of bass or whatever was enough for them. Whereas like in a in a proper dance world, you, you know, you had to have like adventurous stuff going on. So that people can create things,
0: right? It's really interesting, and that's well, yeah. I mean, like in the way you've just described it, it's like the the difference between off your head on on pills and actually, because I mean, like, I mean, obviously, ecstasy gives you energy, but it's not really conducive to doing like you know complicated dance moves, right? So
1: exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so um,
1: yeah.
0: okay, let me ask you then, um. Because we are, we're getting we're pushing on here. But I obviously got to ask you about Voodoo Ray, and like, I'm, I guess what interests interest me is like the extent to which it, the extent to which it pushed you into the limelight, and what that was like, basically. So tell me about, like, I mean, pretty sure you made it in a, was it in the studio that you've just told me about, and in, in like the basement of um, Eastern Block? Is that is
1: that my? No, no, no. No. Tell me about tell me about making them. I actually made made it in in the attic at my mom's house.
0: Right. Okay. Well. Um. Yeah. Well. Tell me about the release of it then, and um. You know how everything panned out with it because it must have been pretty crazy.
1: Okay. So like I'd I'd kind of um I by that time I I had like um about like three or four different projects going in Manchester. Um, Like, there was one with the Hit Squad stroke 808 State type people. And then I did another thing with Mike Pickering and another, I can't remember the bloke's name. And then, like, um, there was another thing with Ed Barton. And, um, yeah, this thing was, like, a project with, like, um, these guys from... Wallace-y I think I can't remember yeah. and basically what it was was like they were gonna basically promote me as just like um, someone who who had been doing this for a while kind of thing and like basically they'd, they'd heard like of me through like um, Piccadilly Radio through, through hearing Stu Halland because like I'd done like a load of stuff with Stu Allen. and like so like when I kind of went to to see them, they were like, yeah, so we're just basically going to promote you like as if you was always here kind of thing. And like, I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Um, so I kind of um, was into doing something like that, I, you know, basically been doing for the radio anyway. So like um, I had um, like, I've, I always had like, like tracks kind of, like ready or half ready or whatever. So basically, I like um, I had um, two. I think I had three tracks that I'd, I'd basically recorded at my mom's house, and like basically I just um, like re, re-recorded them in at the studio um, using like um, like vocalists who basically I was doing some kind of soul, soul and funky type stuff with, um, this, this girl called Nicola, like, so we was going to like, you know, so I basically brought her down to the studio just in case if we had like extra studio time, we could like basically record her stuff too, you know, so it was, it was like a nice kind of atmosphere. We're all kind of family anyway, in a way so, you know, we just started recording all the bits and pieces for, for the different tracks and then I kind of ran out of sample memory Um, (laughs) right
0: because there wasn't much right (laughs) on those old samplers
1: yeah 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 exactly so it was yeah so you know it it was uh, it was like um, for me it was it was like a nice kind of crossover um, like by then I'd kind of I was like deep into like what was going on in, in Detroit and Chicago yeah. And um, I wanted to create something that was kind of uh, in a way in between what you know, like um, so the, the actual baseline, like, um, like I'd, I'd kind of, um, I was inspired by like a, like a track from Kevin Saunderson called the sound where he'd kind of created like this really hollow melodic sound you know, and so, like, I, I kind of thought, well, I want to do my own version of that. Um, and because I had, like, um, more than four tracks to work with, because usually, like, I worked on a four track at home, I had, like, 16 tracks. So I was like, okay, cool, I can create, like, um, I, I don't know, three or four different, like, channels just with for the bass. And um, I kind of started to do this, like, um, Experimenting where I, I took one, like kind of detuned it a little bit, which created like this really weird kind of sound. Um, like later on, I found out this uh, is something that they call heterodyning, where it, it creates like two, two off waves, creates like uh, an, a kind of almost like an invisible sound that is a sound that doesn't really exist, but like these two things create this sound.
0: Um, oh right okay I haven't heard that time before
1: actually yeah that's yeah. okay and um, and also like um, I did something similar with like the, the vocal um, we've got Nicola to sing like this vocal all the way through onto tape and then I grabbed part of like what she was singing um, and like t- um, spun it backwards so it, it basically as she was singing like forwards there was a backwards thing which created like this like almost like hypnotic kind of um sound like you know where it's like you couldn't figure out if it was her voice was like doing like this this thing at the same time or oh, like yeah. it was yeah. it was because like, it was the same same basically the same texture or the same thing but it was basically just happening like in reverse time at the same time as she was singing of I thing I had to basically I had to where, where she was so after she did the vocal like after she sang I had to basically press like manually press um the the backward one in over like the top of her voice to right it, like, right, right. At yeah. right at the same time kind of thing um and there was a few other little bits and pieces I remember I, I, I had to do in there where where it was like um like the the actual bass drums it's like you know like making sure that it was kind of like like back in the mix because I, I, I at the same I was picturing like um how this would sound in the hacienda by this time you know what I mean and I wanted something that was big and like you know the toms had to kind of fit behind the, the bass drum and like I wanted everything to be melodic in there you know I wanted like 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 the the Chicago stuff was always really kind of like raw and like you know I wanted something like but like that but like with like melody like um, and you know what I was getting from like Detroit stuff was like it was more melody at the time you know techno was actually melodic
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's the thing that's what people forget right <laughs> yeah. the early Detroit stuff is
1: very and like you know like but I still wear that rawness so like the 303 kind of thing I wanted it so that it kind of cut through, like, the the melodic stuff that was happening. And, and there was a few things that I was, you know, was going for on that track, on that track particular. But, um, you know, there was also on the same EP, uh, there was a track called Escape, where I wanted that that to be more, like, Chicago-y, raw, and, like, you know, 303 sounding. But, like, the guy I was working with in the studio was, like, a... You know, it was it was great actually because I, I learned a lot from him. But um, he, you know, he was like in the Pet Shop Boys, so like you know, right. like trying to trying to kind of you know um convince someone because like by then they they had not heard like acid house music. Believe it or not, people did not just like hear it and go, yeah, wow, well, that's it. You know, so I had to kind of almost like kind of convince him like you know like I want to push this a little bit you know I want it to be a bit harder and then
0: yeah right it's like this is this is how it's supposed to sound this is how I want it to sound right and it's like sounds like a mistake to them i it, guess yeah a
1: lot of a lot of things like i mean and it wasn't the first time that that kind of happened like later i had that with a few different people and it was a bit frustrating in a way because I, I kind of um I really, I mean, like, how things sounded at home in the studio, I, and I could never get them to sound like that in somebody else's studio. Right. And, like, that really made me want to have my own studio where, you know, I, I could, like, basically just be the king of what was going on kind of thing. But it, it kind of, it it pushed me and, like, and you know, I, I learned a lot from, you know, different people's techniques and, you know, I'm kind, I'm I'm like glad now I, I actually I learned then and not now you know because like um yeah like I actually learned traditionally how to use tape in like um the best I think anyway the best way you can use tape um, and like you know basically being a, a period of time where things were transitioning I learned how to use the techniques with tape in um, in the digital world, later on too. So uh, you know, it was it was nice to have that kind of crossover. Whereas now, there's there's a lot of people that they actually don't they don't um, they don't use like like a door the same way as I I, I use a door. You know, like right, you yeah. know, I I I kind of use it as a tape tape recorder. That you know, like you know, for me it's really. It was really hard to, and that's why I, I use Reason instead of um, Ableton because, like, for me, Reason I get like an SSL desk, um, like you know the 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 the, the timing almost is almost the same as like tape timing. You know what I mean? Like how things are recorded. So you know, like I kind of I I'm I'm kind of um, happy with that medium uh, how how it works and.
0: Yeah, it's a different. It's a slightly different way of thinking about it, isn't it? Yeah. And it gives gives it a different. Yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: And you, so, like, when you you re, you record, you get something totally different. I mean, like, you know, there's people that even like, you know, like today they, you know, they'll think I, I record, you know, like on on tape or I record like using loads of analog machines and stuff like that. And I don't have to, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't have to use the, the medium. I mean, I did back then, but like, you know, like just because like um, things changed and like we we kind of moved forward, I don't have to use them anymore. I, I know how to, I mean, like I could go back to using them and they sound exactly the same as how I work now with, with like soft simps and stuff. Anyway, I'm diverting again we should
0: Yeah, let me let me ask you um about like video having 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 uh, finished it and it obviously came out, like it's seen as obviously a classic now, like one of the classics of classics. But but how like how was it received like initially? Did it immediately hit with people and um yeah, like how did that affect your like life having a, a track as as big as that?
1: Um, didn't really affect my life much. Because, like, um, as soon as it came out, I mean, I I'd, um, I started a job um, working at McDonald's so I could buy equipment. Um, I was still kind of living in this squat. Um, I was having a few problems with like um, like uh, the guys from 808 State because they'd released stuff previously and there was no there was nothing coming back from it so I was kind of like in that situation and then like you know on top of that like this the the Voodoo Ray thing kind of came out um and kind of like straight away there was no denying that it, it it was like um you know, there was no there's no way you could make anyone could make an excuse that it wasn't happening because it was totally different to everything else. Right. And the the label Ram Records said that they were gonna press five hundred and like um I remember they pressed five hundred and sold five hundred in a day. Yeah. Um <laughs> and then like um I I think they must have gone to a repress. Um they got really excited about what was going on somehow um they at some point says to me um that I was you know it, it looks like it's successful I should straight away try and record an, an album. so I was basically pushed towards doing that I was actually distracted by doing that when it came to a point that, like they said that the distributor was—I think the distributor was called Red Rhino—had gone bust. Like just about oh, at the same right. time yeah. that it was in the charts,
0: <laughs>
1: right? Coincidentally, <laughs> so they, right? Yeah. Oh. So there was there was no money that was you know everything that basically what they said was that everything that um, was supposed to be you know like mine or whatever um, basically got lost within like this, like, um, distributor going down. Ugh. So like, you know, there was nothing to be made from it. You know, that's crazy. Thank let, you let, me, night. Let, let me,
0: let <laughs> me, let me just, I want to, I want to dig into the, this financial thing a bit, a bit more cause I know you've been, you've talked about it recently, but, um, when I said, how did it affect your life? I didn't just mean financially, like, like, you know, did you become like well-known immediately? Like I mean, and were you playing out regularly and all that stuff? Like how? how no, not at
1: all. Right, not at all.
0: So when did you start? When did you start like becoming successful as a as a performer? Then
1: okay, so like basically I um was like kind of thinking to myself, hang on. Like I had two tracks that were in the charts, <laughs> um, being Pacific State and. Um, Foodie Ray. So I'm going to try and get some kind of management thing going on. And um, basically the whole management thing kind of like um, took me a little while to get into place because no one would believe me. (laughs) How do you mean? I mean, I was like, look, seriously, I've got, I'm living in a squat. I've been sacked from McDonald's because like they don't want me in their place <laughs> because all these people are coming in to their shop or whatever. And I, I need to try and eat. Like, you know, you know, I was kind of like basically needed some way of eating. Eventually I got in contact with like these guys like down in London who actually were the, the guys who were the pluggers for Voodoo for Ray. Right. There was, they were called ten times better. They introduced me to this guy who was like, um, kind of like a manager, kind of a a few different little bits and pieces, odds and ends, um, called Jerry Hempstead, and like he introduced me to a lawyer guy called Alexis Grower, who was like basically one of the hardcore lawyers, and like we basically kind of managed to kind of be taken seriously by like the guys from A Wake State and got so like they got my name actually put on the the music and then like um later on we managed to get hold of peter lay who basically decided that like now he didn't want to be in the music industry anymore
0: (laughs) sorry sorry who's peter lay
1: he was the the guy who was running um ram records
0: ah right okay the guy who had signed voodoo ray
1: right well, it actually didn't even get to a chance of signing because he'd he'd like um, basically he'd done all this stuff and got really it ex- he didn't he did, basically he was a little label who didn't expect like um, to be in the charts. Yeah, and somehow like you know he, I mean I think he wanted to just basically print up the first five hundred and then rip me off. Right, right, <laughs> and um, it kind of got a little bit more exposure than. He he was kind of you know I think the red rhino thing kind of was like oh fuck you know like you know you know we've we kind of planned this like you know and then like planned this so we were gonna say to you know they were gonna say to me okay you know like the 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 distributor's gone bust so like you know basically we owe you nothing kind of vibe and um, hmm. like so like and I was supposed to just disappear into the woodwork I guess. Um, like when it went into the charts, you know, like the, the the record pluggers were obviously they were interested in moving this thing along. And so, like when I came, I, I turned up crying on their doorstep, like what the fuck am I supposed to do? It was like you know, like these basically these people in Manchester, like small time fucking little town fuckers, yeah, right, wanted yeah. to rip me off on each <laughs> from every fucking angle. You know what I mean? It was like, I mean there was two fucking records in the charts, and and I was like, no, there's got to be some fucking... Wow,
0: it's mad, isn't it? And you couldn't even get a a manager.
1: Exactly. Crazy. Right, yeah. And so I was like, there's got to be some kind of comeback, at least something, you know, and like, so like, you know, these guys kind of helped me out, and basically what happened in the end of that was like I was steered towards... um, Doing a deal with um, Sony Epic, right? um, Because that was kind of and like basically, so like I did that and like started to organize, um, going on tour. So at least you, at least you started to get
0: paid then, because presumably you got a good advance from that.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, basically, what I did was, um, like, I got an advance, built a recording studio and, like basically kind of just basically got to work on like um doing like um a tour or like doing 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 more material to go on tour like straight away. Okay. And and and
0: sorry what year what year
1: is this? Um like 90. 90, right. Okay. 1990. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, and then like just to just to go back to the first question which was um, at what point did you start to become successful performing and and you just said that you were you were planning a tour so did that then did that then, you know, go well? And were you kind of, did you find yourself, yeah. like, reasonably well established after that?
1: Um, yeah, like, I mean, like, basically studio established and stuff like, you know, I, I got to a point where I was, like, um, being a, I could, like, write my own music. Um, I got to a point with um, Sony where I created my own imprint called Subscape on the label. And, like, so I started to do my own Kind of stuff, really. Um, you know, they they were kind of wanting more like more pop music. <laughs> i <Right. laughs> kind of I wasn't really kind of into the pop music thing because it never worked for me the first time.
0: <laughs> right. Let me just ask you, just to tie up this Voodoo Ray thing. Like, what happened to the rights to Voodoo Ray? And like, did you ever get paid for it? Like, you know, it tell, I mean, do do you own rights
1: to it now? I own the rights suite now. Right. Basically, what happened was like um, the 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 management um, of like Jerry Emstead and like the, the lawyer Alexis Grower basically found Peter Lay and like says to him like you know he wasn't even in the music in- industry anymore. Like look, he, like you basically you have to sign this and make sure that like this guy is like you know is not is not basically being ripped off by you anymore through this situation. So that all happened, right, up to a certain extent where, like, he, he basically, he, he disappeared and, like, um, they they managed to sign it over. But something that they didn't sign over was, like, something to do with, like, the PPL. So he, he'd managed to claim that for, like, like a few, like, decades. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, where he wasn't even in the music industry. He didn't have the label anymore. The label, the Ram Records label, like died in nineteen ninety two. So he didn't even have that. But like he he kind of managed to he kind of still had a PPL account. Yeah, it's a bit of a you know, he was just like a sly kind of fucking shady. Anyway, so like we managed to figure that out and like um like I got got onto well, couldn't didn't know where he was, but um we was trying to find him. Um and like he he did a few dodgy moves like where he like Trying to do licenses, and we'd kind of, you know, found him through or found out that this was happening. Like, obviously, no one wants to give any information about who's doing what, where, when. You know what I mean? Unless you know. So, so by the time I get to, I think it, uh, going on, like, I'm, I'm now, I'm hedging towards what is happening now. It's like um, I'd we'd, we'd found a lead to, towards where what was happening with him. Um, this guy. um has been living off like this fucking. Not just living off that, but like he was taking money from me illegally during this uh, for a long period of time. Um, I managed to find a guy that was his assistant, like back in like like the eighty nine kind of thing, ninety. Yeah. Um. um I so I, we kind of explained me and my business manager. This is this is like two thousand and eighteen. We explained to this guy that. Um, we're trying to find his old boss. Um, he says, oh, I, I might know where he is. Like, um, let's get we'll get I'll get back to you. Um the next thing I know, I'm getting a letter from the guy who was the fucking guy's assistant. I'm getting a letter from his lawyer saying that he owns my track. Wow. <laughs> so Whoa. that leads me up to today. Oh my it's like, God. hang on a minute. And like the guy who... So it's still rumbling on. Yeah, so like the guy who, who, um this Peter Lay guy who owned Ram Records basically passed away in 2020. And like somehow like this guy, he obviously knew that this guy was going to pass away because somehow they, they must have been in contact.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And he's basically, yeah, so like now he's kind of, like thinking, oh, well, like, let me get my um, pound of flesh <sighs> out, of, out of this situation, which, you know, I've, 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 you know, I've had it up to here. And
0: it's never been a contract or anything that, never, ever since day
1: No, one. no, 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 no. Wow. But like, it's not, it's not even just that. Like, you know, like it's gone past, like, I mean, like in my, in my head, it's like, I've been in the charts with like these two fucking tracks. I've let a lot of stuff lie. Right over the years, and I've just got on with my own business without fucking annoying or being like gangster with anyone where I could be, you know. Like, and yeah, there's yeah. nothing that says to me, like, okay, like, you know, I'm being paid enough, or I'm being like, I don't have a knighthood, or I don't have anything that says, like, I can't be a cunt with like any of these people. Yeah, so, sure. like, you know, I've gone, like, okay, like, you know, I've let everything lie, but I've got to a stage now where I've gone, I've gone in with legal people to to, to, you know with this guy and you know it's just spending money and wasting time and like at the end of the day I don't even you know it's got it's getting to a stage where I don't even want money now I I, know all I want to do is see this guy like fucking suffering on the edge (laughs) of a fucking blade to tell you the truth and I don't you know I don't you you know I'm not even a caveman like that yeah. But, um, Fair enough, man. I think I'm, I just personally want to cut him up.
0: <laughs> I, I completely understand. <laughs> completely
1: understand. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's nothing to do financially or anything. I'll probably end up in prison for the rest of my life, but at least I'll be laughing, going, "Ha ah, ah, ha ah, ha! Look, at least, I, at least I got something." <laughs> I feel like a madman in a padded cell. Right.
0: <laughs> anyway, um. Okay, so. That's that's Fudy Ray. <laughs> um, I want to I want to talk about Jungle, the first tunes of yours that actually I got to know were your Jungle uh, records of the mid nineties. Actually, I, I mentioned before that's when I first started going out as a sort of teenager, it was like sort of ninety five, ninety six sort of time. So I saw you as a as a Jungle guy. Actually, that was that was I didn't find out till quite a lot later that you'd made Voodoo Ray and all that stuff too. So um, and I went I was last few days I've been going back to those. To Twenty Eight Gun Bad Boy album and also Black Secret Technology, and those are awesome albums, man. They really are. Um, Thank you. Really, really sound amazing. Still, um, particularly Black Secret Technology, it really sounds you know, completely up to date. So um, we had D-Bridge on the show a few weeks ago, and we were dig- digging into uh, the early early jungle scene. He was obviously down in London, right. um, and um so you having had this slightly nightmarish experience with the charts and all that stuff and having signed to Sony and having been given your own label,
1: yeah.
0: set you set about making making jungle, which presumably was not what they had in mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when, when you signed that deal. But but just tell me how you got into it. I mean, you know, clearly Well, you said before that like obviously it came out of hardcore and that came out of asana so so it was there and obviously right in front of you but how did you get to know people like you know groove rider and all that like tell me about it
1: um well i was i was basically like i was i started experimenting because you know i i was kind of like really intrigued by breakbeats and like you know where we could go with the sampler you know like you know and like, you know, from actually from Voodoo Ray, like onwards, you know, when I did the like the reverse vocal thing, I was like, Wow, you know, we can you know, we could do some crazy shit with this. So, you know, I started chopping up breaks like um from I think like the first break thing I chopped up was a track called Specific Hate. Like um that was back in like nineteen ninety hmm. I think. Um and basically, you know, using the Akai S nine fifty and using key groups to kind of chop bits and pieces up and like make your own rhythms out of them, and um, you know, like the the whole kind of rave thing kind of started to explode and like you know the it was like this ragga thing that kind of was like part of that, and you know, I I, I kind of just. I don't know, somehow felt that, you know, everything was fitting into place, you know, the, the whole jigsaw, you know, like all this stuff that we'd been as like like British kind of youth, you know, like through like hip hop and kind of like, you know, electro funk and all this, you know, like, you know, it was like this was like the culmination of it all, you know, like we, we could put all this stuff together in, you know, like, with with these like, new kind of machines you know and create our own individual kind of like styles you know and like for me like using like um like a break beat in, in the background was like kind of uh you know it was like i don't know it's like it was almost like the soundtrack of mm-hmm. what of what was going on in my life at that point you know um and it was it was i was getting rid of like loads of fucking anger and aggression, you know, and it and it just it just fucking fit, you know, it just totally fit into to where I was where I was going, and um, I think uh, like I I I mean like I started to to do this label through like actually the the same management ten times better they started like um, they had like you know obviously like this label plug in thing. So I started a label on there. They said to me, start a label, and I started this label. And um, there was some people I was working with in Manchester, you know, doing like sound systemy type thing at that time, and we called it Juicebox, mm. you know. So like basically, I just called the the label after what the the label. I mean, uh, the sound system was, and um, basically, we just, it just took off from there, you know, like breakbeat kind of, like really raw. Like we didn't give a fuck about charts or anything like that, so it was just totally right up my street. And like you know, like the label, the the um, record pluggers were like, if you can do like four tracks uh, a month, like you know, you, you know, they, you know, that that would be perfect. So like I would just uh, at the end of every month I would put out an EP, um, starting from I think the first was like '91. And, like, just going through, like, to 92 and, and so on. And I was, yeah, basically, I was just putting, like... First, I would put out, like, um, one track. I mean, like, one EP a month. And, like, at the end of the year, I would put out an album. So, like, the, yeah, the first album was um, 28 Gone Bad Boy.
0: Right, and, well, it was was it just then, like, a compilation of those releases you have done throughout the year? Is that how that is? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah right. basically, yeah. Got
1: it. Yeah, and then, like, the, the second album like you know what i mean it was like well i kind of had to come with something totally different in a way because like that had already been done you know what i mean so it was like okay so now i need to do like a, an album that was kind of purpose a purposely kind of made album so you know and i, I kind of like like from 90 I think from 92 to 95 I kind of spent a lot of time kind of experimenting and like kind of chopping and changing I was releasing a few little bits and pieces here and there but like uh, there was nothing kind of that kind of jig I could jigsaw together in that way you know what I mean so
0: let me ask uh, you yeah. let, me, let, me, let me just jump in and ask you how how like how into that sort of jungle scene were you like I um, you know were you were you playing out? like and were you getting to know like the other sort of key people or like
1: i was going i was going out i wasn't i wasn't playing playing out anywhere because i mean basically i mean every now and again i was playing like one or two things i think but um I'm, i'm i'm not kind of like a traditional dj you know what i mean so it's like when i was playing out i was playing out with like um two um two um like s950s uh, an mpc60 right, a line yeah. mixer and so it was like basically like you know like a whole load of equipment kind of thing so it wasn't i couldn't just play anywhere you know what i mean it had to be so, sort of like a special gig where i played kind of thing i think um one of the ones i remember was eclipse um coventry like i, I remember doing a, doing a thing there but like had, everything like had to be set up Kind of thing, so I was more like touring, doing you know, like gigs touring wise. Um, I did a few things like in Europe kind of early on, kind of s- sowing a few seeds, kind of you know, like um, and then like I did like one or two kind of things where they wanted some of the older stuff that I was doing, and then I would introduce some of the, the newer breakbeat stuff inside that, and so I could see. How, how it was working, so they wanted some. It started off like acid, and then it would go through rave, and then into kind of like the breakbeat jungle stuff. Um, so I could, I kind of got the element of what was going on. But I was, I was basically like playing live, you know, like everyone else was kind of like um, DJing and stuff, like you know, playing plates and stuff. But I was. But
0: you, but you were going out to raves just to get into the music, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 basically. And who
0: were your, who were the key DJs for you? In that period,
1: um, I would say like um, Groove Rider, Fabio, uh, Fabio mainly, um, and then later on um, like Randall, and like yeah, Mickey Finn and like these guys. You know what I mean? It was just it was a mi- mixture of it was a, I mean like, for me it was just like a mixture of people, and uh, I was like being heavily influenced by like reinforced like you know Goss and Diego and that uh, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I think I mean, like, I was basically being introduced to all these people through Goldie. He, I mean, like, basically, he, he was kind of like my kind of per, the, the key person who was introducing me to these people because I was, you know, coming from Manchester. You know, what I mean, down down to London. Um, I was actually I was coming down here every every week or nearly every week because, um, like, um, my kind of management was the distribution and whatever. So. I kind of would come down and like um, be. Uh, they were in South Wimbledon, I remember. So like, I was almost, almost practically living down here. And then I would kind of go and like, um, like, I would stay at Goldie's place. And then like, basically, we would just go around like um, to reinforce and some some other little like areas and like check out and see what was going on. So yeah, how did you meet? Sorry, how did you meet Goldie? Um... I, he, he called me up um, somehow. Like the distribution companies, um, they gave they gave him my number, and I, I was like, right. "What? You gave somebody with my number?" And he <laughs> called me up in Manchester, and basically, like a few times, he called me, and I, I was I was like, "I don't know who the fuck that is, whatever." But like <laughs> then, like yeah, after after a while, I was like, "Fuck, he's constant, this guy." So I thought, well, you know what I mean? It's not dodgy. It doesn't sound like it's dodgy. And he's like, yeah, you can come, like, hang out with me and, like, you know, you can stay at my gaff and da 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 And I thought, cool. So I just, I just like, hung out with him for a bit and, like, you know, he, he, he knew what was going on. And, he, I mean, basically, he was just freaked out that I was, like, all the way in Manchester and I was doing what I was doing. You know, he, he couldn't couldn't believe that I wasn't... I, I'd not been to. I mean, he he brought me to um like Rage, you know what I mean, and like so.
0: Yeah, I was I was gonna mention I was gonna sorry sorry to jump in. I was gonna mention Rage because um that was like that's kind of ground zero for for jungle, right? And I've yeah. I've, I've never heard any first hand stories about it for other than just like reading about it in in, in magazines. So t- so just um yeah, tell me tell me about Rage. Um, it was, was it was a heaven?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it was it was like a. I mean for me it was like the 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 best I've ever fucking heard like that music, you know. What I mean I've heard it in a few different places, but like in there it was just it was tough, you know what I mean? They they'd like fucking it was almost as if them speakers were made for that music. You right. know what I mean? It was it was totally I was like fucking no, hell, like this this is like fucking it is heaven, you know. <laughs> it was yeah, it was so nice.
0: And um I know Fabio is
1: resident, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and um, who else would play there regularly? Was Goldie playing already there,
1: or no, no, Goldie wasn't no. playing. Um, no, I remember, I remember seeing Kyle Cox there. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was still that kind of hardcore crossover thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it hadn't yeah, really yeah, established yeah. itself as a kind of as its own genre, yeah, at yeah, that point basically,
1: in. yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was like a, a, you know, and there was a few other places, to, um, that I would go and all like after that. I mean, like, basically, there was. There was like Jungle was lively in 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 London, you know what I mean. And there was like loads every weekend. There was like loads of different things, like you know there was like this thing at Angel. There was like later on there was like um, what's it called um, Jungle Fever, um, the Champagne Splash, um, Sunday Roast. Um, oh, there was so many different things, man. That would be fucking happening. Like, you know, and, like, you would have to go to all these different things, too, you know what I mean? And it was nice. It was it was fucking well nice, man. It wasn't, like, you know, like, on the, you know, like, on the outside of it, I would get all this kind of feedback, like, oh, it's really moody, these, these <laughs> kind of people. You just go there right. full of, like, crackheads and da, da 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 And, you know, you'd go, you'd get down there and be like, fucking... Half naked girls drinking bottles of champagne, like like shocking out on the dance floor. It's like,
0: uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to say, like, because we we're kind of moving into the period where I first started going out as a kid, and I never, like, certainly in London anyway, I never had any like, what's he got inside the rave? It was great. Do you know what I mean it was just it was just really good energy at those early jungle things. It was it was brilliant actually. Yeah, it was. So yeah, but but you only released on on your label, is that right? In that
1: period? Um, yeah. Um, I had to. Um,
0: oh, because you were, because you were, because con- you were locked in contractually?
1: Um, well, no, no, it's, um, it's basically, I was, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was doing my own sound and like I'd basically been bitten like here and there and like, I kind of just wanted to do my, um, yeah, yeah my that's, own that's thing. Fun. Yeah. And I kind of didn't really want to be part of anybody else's thing by then. I was like, uh, still a little bit angry. (laughs) um.
0: (sighs) Okay. And then, um, I know you you just described that you were, you know, you're you're putting out stuff really regularly. And then that first album came together. So, and you were going to just go on and talk about that second album. It wasn't your second album. I think it was your fourth album, Black Secret Technology. Is that right? In
1: total? Um, Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: So tell me about, how that came together then? You mentioned it's a bit slightly different process to the 28 Gone Bad Boy album.
1: Yeah. Um, basically, I'd, by now, I'd kind of, you know, I just wanted to kind of push what I could do in, in the studio, you know, and I kind of liked time wasn't any, you know, like before I had like kind of time limits and stuff and like, you know, there was all these other little bits and pieces that kind of would come into play like, you know, and whereas with with Black Student Technology, it was kind of like open, you know, I could do like like anything, that I, I felt anyway like I could do anything I wanted and I had like kind of a lot more kind of experience from, you know, all these other different kind of techniques that I'd learned from the past and I wanted to kind of add all these things into one kind of system, you know, and. Like the only way to do it properly was to um, kind of do an album like which had like different styles, all these different elements that were kind of there. Like, um, and I wanted to put you know you kind of want to frame like the, what you've what you've done up to now kind of thing yeah. in a way. So it was like I wanted like to add acid and techno and like ambient and like you know all these basically all these things and like, you know, jungle and daub and everything, I just wanted to put in, you know, on the one kind of like belt, you know what I mean? And frame it under that and and Black Secret Technology was a way of, of doing that, you know, for me. It was it was a way of kind of like, you know, up until that point this is this is what, what I kind of had done, you know. So it, it was that. I mean it's a real kind of um
0: I mean it really fits together as an album though as you know, d- despite what you just said about how it how it, um you know it covers quite a lot of ground stylistically mm. but it really it really like hangs together nicely as a kind of you know and as a kind of story arc I suppose you could put it as you know a, a, well, a great a great album for me is um you know it's it's got a it's got a sort of narrative to it do you know what I mean there's some um, mm. and it, it should like take sort of twists and turns and it absolutely does that yeah. So was that um I mean did you did you think about it like that at all? Like I mean like past the you know, clearly you wanna be um, you know, like representing like the different sides of yourself as a as a producer, but like in terms of like the album itself, were you thinking about like the you know, I mean yeah. like how did you think about like how it how it was gonna come together as a whole?
1: Yeah, I mean as 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 it um yeah, as it came together, I um I kind of seen it you know, I, I kind of seen the, the the next step, kind of thing. You know, what I mean, it was it was like um, the the first few tracks were like, okay, you know, I can, you know, I can I can have that in there and still, you know, like show like it's it's um, jungle, but like as as it's moving on. You know what I mean? I wanted to kind of show like the 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 story of where it's come from in a way in like where it's going and it, it up until then I, I, I mean i don't know there, there was a few other like albums like jungle albums i guess I, I don't know but like i kind of wanted to do something that was you know like you know like a little bit out of because like there was a lot of jump up kind of stuff a lot of ragga and i wanted to be okay like you know like by then, like, there's a lot of people that thought Jungle was just, like, this <laughs> mad kind of <laughs> yeah. crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and, and like, you know, I'd experienced, like, you know, like, so many different kind of levels of it, you know, f- from different producers and, you know, different people, and, and I was like, wow, you know, I want to also show, like, you know, that, you know, it could be something that you could, like, listen to, like, at home, or, you know, like, something that could be like, you know, it it's not just like a a kind of DJ tool, you know, like where you would just throw out or, you know, it would be it could be something else, you know, it could be another another element to it, you know what I mean? That was I mean like for me like Secret Technology was a way of, of showing that.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean it's as I said, it's a great album. It still sounds amazing to now. It sounded amazing this afternoon <laughs> when I was listening to it. Um, okay, so there's a couple more areas I want to cover. We've been going on for quite a while already, but um, there's, there's, there's just two bits that I want to want to talk about before we finish. Um, first of all, well, the, the first of them is, well, I wanted to talk about the kind of racial politics of the dance scene a little bit. And like the, the, the reason that I, well, the specific question that I wanted to ask you about it actually was with regard to Acid House, because like Acid House is this kind of like reputation of being this kind of, Almost like a kind of post-racial sort of paradise period, and and I I wonder like is is that true? Basically, I suspect that it's probably not true. But I mean, can you like shed some light on that for me in terms of like you know your own experiences with it?
1: Um. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like of lately, I mean, I've I've tried to educate a few people in that, and like you know, basically, people general they don't want to know. And they, uh, you know, it's like you know they just say, you know, Gerald, just stick to the music, man. So I'm like, you know, Gosh, that's I'm the worst thing I've ever. Heard. Fiercely, fiercely sticking to the music. So even if, like, fucking ten tons of fucking nuclear shit drops on us right now, I'd be like, oh, listen to how nice it sounds. You know, that's how that's how strictly I, I'm. I'm because I've been warned by different people and different things. I remember. Like I was called a cop killer when like, you know, like there's this guy got, I seen, you know, he got fucking killed by a cop and basically, you know, I seen the blood coming out of him and he actually, his face looked like mine. And I was like, oh fuck. And I got a little bit emotional and I started saying some shit. And like, you know, like late, late after that, I lost like loads of gigs and stuff like that. And people say no, you shouldn't do, you know, it's like, duh, 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 duh. and then like about a year or so later, like, you know, this other guy, someone stepped on his neck and everyone's like, oh, look at that. And I was like, oh. and I, I, was, I was like, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> it's like, obviously, like, I, I mean, because I've been living, I lived in New York. Like, I've, I've been there where a policeman pulled a gun out on me and shit like that. So, you know, I'm like, you know, I had my actual, actually had my agent from American agents say like, anything that you've said on uh, like the, about Yankee cops or whatever, like, you know, on your internet, take it off, you know, on your, you know, what's it called? Say that off. and I was like, "No, fuck that! I just, I'd prefer never to go back to America."
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I don't actually go back to America now. I'm trying to plan plan them um, to go in alternative places actually, rather than Europe or America.
0: Okay, but um, just in terms of like like my question about acid house. And like to what extent? But I, I guess it's kind of like seen as being like, you know, like football hooligans came down off the terraces. Everyone kind of had everyone hugged, took ecstasy, and the kind of like many of the kind of like you know, historical beefs were were kind of put to one side for a few years. So I guess that that's my question. Is 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 that true to any
1: extent? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, definitely. I mean, it. You know, the the old. I mean, in in the UK, I mean, like, obviously, yeah. acid and techno or different to, like, you know, when you go to to Detroit and, like, experience techno in Detroit, it was like, "Hmm?"
0: Yeah, 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 sure. I guess that's what I'm saying. I guess I'm talking about the UK in particular, because you're right, it is very different over there. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so, like, yeah, like, so for us, you know, like, you know, we we went through, like, loved-up period and, like, everyone was kind of, like, in together and stuff like that, which, for some reason, I I mean, I got a strange, I mean, a, a, a lot of that, Kind of period, actually. Um, I was kind of touring away. Like, I mean, mm. I was I, I was touring in America when there was the invention of Adamski and people like that. <laughs>
0: right,
1: right, right. I was I wasn't here for that. But um, yeah, it was, what was really weird. Was that you know it, it was this amazing kind of thing where like people would kind of like partying, you know, outside of London in farm farmhouses or whatever, you know, and and like, you know, I, I thought well, that was fucking amazing and, like, you know, they were getting together and I seen video of, you know, people, like, you know, of all sorts of colours and sizes and stripes and whatever, and they're all laughing and partying together, I'm like, fuck, you know, that is fucking wicked, man, compared to like the old school days where it was like loads of, like, match boys kind of, like, cutting each other up and, and whatever, right. and, you know, so it, it, was, it was, you know, there was a, it was a good thing, there was a good thing happening, but you know, like uh, it seemed to me that the the um, government really um, didn't like that right. for some reason. I don't. I mean, I don't know. You know, they were they were making all sorts of excuses of this and that, and like you know, there was some some. You know, I, I don't know. Like you know, I mean, I suppose like the drugs is the thing that that you know they were kind of aiming at, saying like, you no, know, this is what this whole thing is is kind of like around it's is about and like, you know, it, it just, I mean, for me it seemed that there was a lot more to it and they didn't really, I mean, they they didn't really want to kind of address it full on and like, you know, try and make a, a kind of balance with what was really going on or, you know, you know, like, the, the I mean, like, I remember when, you know, they were kind of, they were almost like cheering, like when, like, a load of like English hooligans would go abroad and smash up like a German pub or whatever, you know. Right. What I mean? It was on the front page of the newspaper, like our oh, lads, you know, kind of as if, as if, like you know, they'd kind of, kind of won the war over again or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, I mean, and I know you know that I was used to that, you know, like and and then like we kind of, kind of switched from that, and it was almost as if they'd they'd kind of, it was like you know, it was like you know, England kind of, it's like became like, oh my, you know, it's almost as like if they found out, oh my God, my son is a ballet dancer <laughs> kind of thing. You know what I mean? It was like, they'd, they'd kind of, no, you don't want to be loved up. You don't want to be like, liking f- foreigners. Well, that's, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like the, um, sorry, sorry if I was jumping in, but like the, um. Like the rave scene, like was quite subversive in in a lot of different ways to to kind of establishment people, right? And like you're absolutely right when you like yeah. point by like, looking at it from the kind of perspective of a, a kind of conservative middle Englander, like it must have been quite scary for them in some ways. But in in quite a, mm. I mean, like their concerns obviously then get expressed in in pretty problematic ways right but let me just ask a question though um in the period like prior to as house when you were talking about you know his dance parties and stuff and your experiences going there were those parties quite sort of segregated like were they were they quite um like were they were not super mixed sort of racially or what were they like
1: no they were totally in in well in the north of england what i seen was like they were kind of totally mixed i mean i only went to i only got a chance to to go to a few of them Right, which is really weird. I mean, like um, loads of people was like,
0: "Yeah, no, no." I, I mean, I mean, sorry, I mean before acid house. Oh, before. Yeah.
1: Before, before it definitely segregated. Right, right, right. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so so it's, so it's a pretty revolutionary thing then, really. Getting uh, as you
1: say, yeah. yeah, it was it was for sure because I, I mean I remember there was like um, like say like legends or something like that. There was maybe like one or two white guys that would go to legends. And like I would be like kind of if I went to the hacienda at one point, like there would be me and maybe three or four of black people in there. Whereas like afterwards, it was just like a total like soup of different people, you know? Right.
0: Okay. That's all. Well, that's I mean that's quite a firm us. So it is actually true that acid house was a was a positive force in that respect.
1: Hundred percent. I mean, like you, you, even when you you kind of you can find old footage you'll you'll see there's like such a a mixture of of people yeah it's crazy it's like yeah, it, it was like almost as if like that i mean and that's gone now actually but like you know like the- well
0: that was that was going to be that was going to be my next question
1: right so um
0: obviously we had the as you mentioned or as you alluded to the 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 George Floyd situation and obviously that was a big thing in the states but also obviously resonated here and there's been various mm. um you know incidents over the years with with police and their you know methods shall we say uh, dealing with um you know sections of the population yeah. um so how do you see it now and do you, i guess my question is like did those protests change anything do you think and how how do you feel about the overall situation i suppose now today
1: i think i think they they kind of changed things a little bit i mean People kind of went kind of out of their way, kind of to kind of show that you know, that solidarity with certain things that were happening. And you know, the, a lot of things, you know, there'd be videotaping like you know, these cops like you know, killing people, and like you know, where every time it happened, something there would be a reaction to it, kind of thing. Whereas these things have been happening like for like decades and decades, like yeah. you know, we've with no, you know, so they, they kind of, in a way, it kind of, it helped, you know, because like, you know, the, the police kind of couldn't get away with that stuff blatantly anymore. They had to have an excuse, you know. But then, you know, there's, you know, which I actually felt at that time was like, shit, you know, there's going to be a kind of backlash against that. And then like, you know, they started to do like, you know, like, well, you know, all lives matter kind of thing, which, you know, they do. But like, then it kind of, you know, they it was like, you could almost see like, basically they just wanted to neutralize that situation and put it back to how it was, you know, like, so, and I was like, oh, that's that's really horrible. That's like, almost as if like, you know, uh, a woman going like, me too. And then like, everyone going, yeah, and everybody else. And then like, rape still kind of, you know, it's like almost as if, you know, wanting to condone, like, Jimmy Savile in a way. And it's like, no, 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 please, like, you know, let's just look at, like, what is here. It doesn't mean that, you know, you don't you don't have to paint it with violence just because it's, like, someone of colour, you know what I mean? just But, like, just have a little bit of heart and, you know, you know, maybe, you know, like, you know, look at the situation from somebody else's point of view. Look at it from your point of view, too, you know, and, like, you know, don't, you know? I think it's, it's, it's a, it can be a really touchy thing. For me, it isn't. But like, I, I had to kind of stop saying stuff online because like any time I said something, I would get in, in trouble from like my agent and some other people because I'm of colour and you're not allowed to say certain things in a way. And I was like, okay. Yeah, and people yeah. would say, well, you know, leave it alone and just do your music. So I was like, well, fair enough. I'll, that's what I will do.
0: Right. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, now that you said that, I actually I do remember that the incident that you're referring to, um, where you, um, yeah, you got some pretty unfair coverage, I thought, at the time, for some stuff that you said.
1: So uh, yeah, so now now I just leave it. I, I just leave it. I mean, like, if, if someone was going to do something crazy, racist, you know, you know, I, I wouldn't even think about talking about it, any anything, any of that stuff anymore.
0: You know? Well, let me let me let me ask you though, um, like more generally in the music industry, like, how has, is, how has is, how is that changed, do you think, like, over the, you know, since you've been involved in you know, 30 odd years, like, how, if, well, what progress, if any, has there been made in terms of, like, just general discrimination in, in the industry?
1: Um, yeah, there's, hundred. I mean, like, it's, I think it's maximum discrimination. Um, I mean, uh, there are no, I mean, I, uh, As far as I know, I don't know any black independent, like, um, labels who kind of are out there doing their thing. At least, like, when I've been to an independent label market, I didn't see any. There was, like, loads of dub stands doing...
0: You mean with, like, the management and kind of owners and that sort of level stuff, yeah? So is that what you're referring to?
1: Yeah, yeah, there was... Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, when... Like, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of was like, well, you know, it would be nice to be, like, absolutely independent and, like, you know, at at no point have anybody else involved in my situation, black or white or whatever, but just so that I could run, you know, I mean, and, and, and like, and try and sell that as a template to everybody else just to see, you know, like, you know, what what could happen, you know, like, because, I mean, there, there is, you know... I mean, I do miss, like, the old days of, like, like especially, especially like, the jungle situation where it was, wasn't, was there wasn't any money involved, so, like, you know, people of colour stood a chance, <laughs> right. in the, you know, and, you know, you'd have, you know, you'd run your thing through your mate's pirate radio station and you would put on a dance and, like, you know, you'd make some money from the dance and, you know and that that's you know but once it started to you know make a certain level then you know you had to have other people involved like more important type people and these important type people are usually not of colour so like then your, your thing ends up getting pushed into a, a one direction or the other or you know it's like you know you know like a, you know like if you've got like a group and like the, you know you you got you get management and the management says to to the singer Yo, you know you know if you get your tits out you know we'll, we'll get be your audience kind of thing you know i mean it's so and you get that kind of vibe you know if you've got like a really kind of solid thing of what you how you want yourself to to come across like sometimes you know i've seen it with like a few different labels who's, you know jungle undergroundy labels who signed to Kind of majors or whatever, and then they kind of end up kind of being washed out, and you don't you don't hear of them anymore. Even you know, what I mean, it's as if they signed them to get them out of the way. And like so, um, yeah. it's like I mean, I, I kind of think if like we had like just basically not not just we but everybody had their own independent kind of like things, like can, they could connect together, but like you know, without having that, that kind of middle market. Kind of thing where, you know, so like you know, there's everything's more individual. You know, you, you're not on like this the Spotify tree of, like you know, if if you, you know, the more kind of like popular you are, the more the further up the tree you are, kind of thing. But like you know, imagine if you had your own. So like that's why that's kind of where I would want it to get to. But I mean, obviously, like you know, I'm I, what, I, what I'm doing is like basically. Trying to be as independent as possible because, like, I've seen like that. These like major things are, you know, and like the people I talk to, they're all still there. Like, you know, their dream is to sign like a, a multi-million dollar deal with someone who's basically just going to fuck the life out of them. They don't even know it yet.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah, that's that's the enduring myth of the of the yeah. music industry, right? You sign a big deal and then you you know get to the top of the charts and you know happily ever after, but it doesn't work like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. happy ever. I remember, I remember, um, I used to have the same lawyer as, um, do you remember a band called Five Star? They were probably before your time. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I remember Five Star. But
1: they were living in a mansion, like all driving around in like Porsches and like whatever, right? And this is about the time when I, I bought my studio. And like, they were hiding from the fucking milkman. Right. So, like, they didn't have, you know, like, basically all the money was kind of, like, they, I don't know, like, they had a dad as the manager, actually. But, like, they, they basically fucked it. And like, I was like, fucking hell. Like, you know, like, you know, just, you know, I mean, in that, in that, in that um, kind of thing, I would say, yeah, stick to the fucking music. <laughs> like, <laughs> basically, stick to the music. Don't fucking get caught up in that fucking, you know, like, and like sticking to the music means like basically being as independent as possible as far as I'm concerned and not getting involved in any of these people like fuck fame to tell you the truth fame does not pay you the fucking bills you know what I mean so like keep keep it keep your feet on the ground keep it real you know what I mean and you know you never know what can can happen from that you know what I mean and even you know if your thing starts to become like popular as a platform you know yeah people might want to buy it but like, keep your fucking feet on the ground, and like, you know, you whatever someone's gonna offer you, you could fucking do like ten fucking million times as much as that. So you know, never fucking sell anything. Like, if someone's really interested in in your thing, then like, they could license it for a certain period of time. You know, but like, you should never ever sell your thing. Keep your and if we all stuck to that, music would be a lot lot more interesting, a lot more colorful. You know, we'd have like different genres and shades of house acid drum and bass all sorts of things everything would be more individual which i think it should be i don't think we should be as like kind of homogenous as we are you know it's just everything at the moment anyway to me seems to be the same you know it seems to be
0: yeah i think you're
1: right anyway so
0: we're basically back to the start now which is nice and neat um I've got one last thing to ask, which is um we've covered it a little bit, but just with regard to the album format generally and and how that kind of fits in to where we are now with with music, you know we we're talking at the start about how you know the um the system kind of incentivizes you just to stick out or track every week, and like you know it's it's kind of sh- very short term and it sort of rewards. Kind of a kind of quick fix type approach to making music. Right. Um, right. And I've, I've basically i've i've asked i've asked everyone who's come on the show so far what they think about the album format, and everyone, like every producer. Sees it as almost a kind of like the holy the holy grail of what you do as an artist, and obviously that's a bit of a problem if like if it's becoming kind of obsolete in the way people listen to music. So like, what do you think about it generally? And obviously, you're someone who's made albums, lots of albums, and you know, made some great albums. So how do you think about it now? And would you would you consider making an album now, for example, like in the, in the same way that you might have done in you know twenty years ago? Like, how do you think about it?
1: No impossible yeah yeah impossible that I would do that now um it was part of that format like we're living in a different totally different era you know and totally different things um, what I'm looking at now is actually you know like these streaming sites that are radio stations basically mm. it's like a radio station where you basically you put a playlist in so basically my what I'm thinking instead of an album is basically building like uh, like one of these playlists and make sure you have all your metadata inside right and like, you can have like millions, you can have hundreds of your your tracks inside that thing, and then you basically build that into a blockchain, and that's you basically, and then you 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 kind of connect to APIs on like Spotify and like um, I don't know SoundCloud and like all these things, and that's that's what I am thinking. That's 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 like what I am thinking as a as a as a way forward, like not like and, and I mean like. That's so, like, 60s even. I mean, like, people yeah. that weren't even born in the 60s are thinking, like, like this crazy... And I'm like, wow, you know, look at all the tools we've got. Look at how advanced we are. And he's like, oh, God. And it, it really frustrates me. It really does. And, and because, like, what what the thing is, is, like, they're being sold this, oh, like, oh, analog and valves and, like, vinyl and da 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 And it's like, fuck, man. Like, okay... I get it, there are some technophobes out there. I mean, from day one, I've been, like, mad into my tech, tech, technology. So, like, you know I mean? I'm always looking at where the fuck you can go next. And it's like, okay, like, this, what the thing that I just described to you, right, is a way of monetizing, independently monetizing your 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 situation. I mean, like, you're going to have to sign on with IFP and get yourself ISRC code. But, like, that should be, like, your freaking normal. You know what I mean? You should do that. Sort of, like, figuring out how to fucking like an album out you know what I mean and like be famous and all this crap you know what I mean it's it's just so fucking like Beatles and 60s and like you know like you know you're gonna just be si- sitting signing autographs and girls are gonna be screaming after you and it's like come on man like you know let's I, I get it you know like you know it, you know that's how record labels like you know they, they want you to believe that that still exists you know what I mean and like what was what it um you know, you get a few like independents. You know that became like kind of like in- internet stars or whatever. You know what I mean? Like and like and you know, but like even that is like fucking like you know that's gone. You know, like I don't. I mean, like maybe you get one or two like influencers or something like that. But
0: Right, TikTok stars now. It's like that will be gone in six months' time as well, probably.
1: Yeah. So like you know, like I mean, like even the, what I'm saying like could be like. Outdated soon, but like I just see it as a tool. Like I've I looked and I seen like wow, there is like a million and one of these like kind of radio station things where you can build your own radio station platform. You know what I mean? Put all your music inside it and like basically stream it. Collects like um, you're not you're not you're not using anybody else's stuff, so you know you don't have to pay kind of out to anyone. But you'll get you'll get you'll, you're, you you could be bringing money in, for a, maybe little bits and pieces at, at first, but like depending on like how how this situation works, you know, and like depending on how that could be made into like a blockchain or like you know, you can like basically pay your gas gas like fees with like um like money that you collect from royalties and like build and, and build on top of build and then like you know, you can connect with other other people and, you know, like you know, I don't know, create like an independent kind of platform but like from everybody owning their own kind of little streaming situation that you know you, you could like link together and you know you still you still have your options via like spotify and, and whatever but you know you've, you've got your at least you've got like all your stuff kind of like in in the one place i mean i would love to be able to go to somewhere where there's like that person's thing i don't i mean I, you know you it's, it's good good being on Spotify and then you can find all this new music or whatever but you know you could still you know i mean i mean that platform that is your own and you're not going through an aggregator or anyone it's just like your your own thing you know you you, you might make a little bit more than you would make if you was like on these external platforms you know what I mean it's like basically like just the story I think is like doing it doing it yourself you know like I think like if people have like that as a kind of I don't know operandus modus operandi it's like just basically do it myself and like if there's anything that comes off it then like other people will want to be involved but like as an external to, to my thing you know I don't I don't you know I don't want to be in somebody else's thing kind of like slowing their thing down because I want to do things my way and they want to do it their way you know what I mean i you know I'll so I, I, basically, I want I want more colors. You know what I mean? I don't. I'm, just, I'm bored with like everyone wanting to sound like the most successful one. It's it's never. It, I mean, like creatively, it, it doesn't work. I mean, like you know, we all you know end up like with this same drone. It's just going to end up like one drone, <sighs> where you know everything's just like the same. Is I mean, like if you like diversity is is like the key to creativity. You know, like in in, in nature you know, <laughs> anyway.
0: Cool, man. Well, listen, Um, we're, we're, yeah, this is a, this is a good place to finish. I've just got one, one more little one though, which is, um, just keep it on albums. Just throw me a few albums that were influential on you, like musically, not, not necessarily your favorite albums. Just give, give me, give me a, give me two or three, which, um, which jump out as, as kind of important albums for you as, as albums. I mean, rather than like bits, and, bits of music. Um,
1: oh, my Spanish heart by Chick Corea. Yep. Um, Bitches Brew, Miles Davis, uh, uh, there's Aito Moreira Touching You Touching Me, Light as a Feather, Florapurium, all uh, old, old school jazz things like um the the Mad Hatter by Chick Career.
0: Um, well, that's, I mean, that's that's plenty, man. That's that's plenty. Unless you have got another one which comes to mind immediately, but um, no, 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 no. <laughs> this has been this has been fun, man. Thanks very much for doing it. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, a guy called Gerald. I absolutely love that episode. It's so good. It's such a great conversation to have. Learned so many interesting things and crazy stories. Some of those ones. Especially about Voodoo Ray. I mean, just imagine having two tunes in the charts, not being able to get a management deal, not being able to get paid. Just, um, yeah, not cool, man. Not cool at all. And uh, people complain about the way the music industry is now, but there's quite a lot less of those kind of really dodgy shenanigans going on. I mean, obviously we have our own problems, but um, yeah, it is different now. So, yeah, super great. Um, just a couple of things to update on. I mentioned last week we had a Who who announcement. I left all last Friday. So that was Psych. The full release for that comes out on the 20th of May. But the um, pre-order for that has a single embedded in it. So you get a track when you get the pre-order. And also you can check the track out on Spotify. It's entitled Scattered, Scattered EP. And then I've done a remix of that track, Scattered for the release as well, SCB Edit of Scattered. So um, yeah, massive fan of Psych. He's just a really, really smart techno producer. And um, his uh, album on Moto was one of the really good ones from the last decade. And he has another album too. And it's great to have him on Who Whom. And um, yeah, this week we've got something from Locked Groove coming up. Again, I'm going to leave it till Friday. So check hotflash.bandcamp.com on Friday. There's a vinyl action going on in that one. We haven't done vinyl for a little while. But uh, the lock roof thing that we've got coming incorporates that. So, yeah. Okay. I think we're about done here. This has been a super great episode. We are clocking in at over 2 hours 20, though. So um, <laughs> I think I'll bow out now. So, yeah, just leave us a review or a rating. You know, this episode deserves five stars. Absolutely deserved five stars this episode. So um, do that wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really does help the show. I mean, honestly, genuinely does help us to have that. So please do it if you're enjoying what we're doing here. Join us in the Discord, com slash Discord. Follow the Spotify playlist. You know where to find it. So, um, yeah, I will see you at the same time. Same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you.
1: Let's go, wow.